Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. We are back, and Wisconsin feels like they are back after the hiring of Luke Fickle. Badgers fans everywhere, alums, very excited about that hire. Nebraska fans excited about the hire of Matt Rule as well. We're going to talk some Big Ten football. By the way, I'm Chad Withrow. This is Jonathan Hutton. You're listening to Outkick 360. We're going to talk some Big Ten, though, and recent coaching hires with David Hookstead. He's on with us right now. He is with Outkick. Covers college football, covers a little bit of politics, covers Yellowstone. We'll definitely talk some college football in Yellowstone in this segment. But first, Dave, hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Thanks for hopping on with us. Hey, I'm always happy to be here. I could not be more excited, more elated, any happier. It's just not physically possible. Let's get into it. Let's break it all down. So when did it move from Jim Leonard is going to be the clear choice to get elevated to head coach to, oh, there's another guy out there by the name of Luke Fickle that may get the job? Well, well so everyone's understanding in the local press and kind of the national press was that they were planning on announcing Leonard Saturday night. That's kind of what had been told earlier in the week. There's a state law that requires the job to be open for seven days. They posted that set the previous Saturday night, so it all lined up perfectly. And then all of a sudden, that didn't happen Saturday night, and nobody seemed to really know why. And then it didn't happen early Sunday morning. And again, no one really seemed to know why. And then there was the bombshell report from ESPN that Luke Fickle was on the verge of signing a deal with Wisconsin. I don't frankly know when he came into play. I have no clue. Nobody seems to know that. It's very mysterious. I kind of feel bad for Jim Leonard, though, because by all reports, he'd been told the job was his. He was expecting to be announced as the head coach this past weekend, and then that didn't happen, which you got you got to feel bad for a guy in a situation like that. So do you feel like, because we had a guest on our show who had mentioned Luke Fickle to Nebraska a week ago, kind of in passing, that that sounded like it was going to happen. Do you get the sense that both schools were talking to Fickle and maybe things picked back up with Rule once Nebraska may have gotten the notion that Fickle was headed elsewhere, and then they went back in heavy with Rule? So I saw a report that I think is probably pretty uh, accurate to what happened, that, that Fickle looked under the hood at Nebraska, and he looked under the hood at Wisconsin and thought, hey, I can win much quicker at Wisconsin with the resources, with the roster that's already in place. It's not a program that really needs to rebuild. With Matt Rule, you get a proven winner. You get a guy who rebuilt Baylor very, very quickly. I'm guessing what happened, Fickle, he wants to win now. He wants to get to the college football playoff for a Big Ten championship as quickly as he possibly can because, hey, he's probably trying to impress some people in Columbus in case Ryan Day goes to the NFL or something. My best speculation would be he thinks Wisconsin today can win much quicker than Nebraska. Wisconsin, uh, really since Barry Alvarez took over, and and I'm, I'm preaching the choir here, I know, David, you know all this, but they've had so much success when they've kind of kept it in family. Um, 
Does Luke Fickle strike you as a Wisconsin-type coach in terms of keeping some things consistent where they've had success, but maybe also adding a little twist to some things that may be needed for Wisconsin football? Well, I would say that in terms of a um, mentality, Luke Fickle's a tough dude. He's a, he's a former uh, defensive lineman. He's a former standout wrestler. He's a tough dude. He likes to hit you in the jaw, really rock your roll. That plays hand-in-hand hand with Wisconsin's identity as a blue-collar football program. Now, we're, we're, there's going to be a split, and this is going to be hard for some Wisconsin fans to, to accept. Luke Fickle, if you look at his Cincinnati teams, they – recruit way above their weight at skill positions, quarterback, uh, cornerback, wide receiver, things of those natures. He's not afraid to open it up. Wisconsin, we hate that historically. We're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Luke Fickle, that's not really what we've seen from him in Cincinnati. That's not what's going to happen to Madison. And there's going to be an adjustment period. And I promise you, some fans won't like it. But big picture, he's tough, blue collar. I like that. Wisconsin fans like that. It's the mentality of the program and the people who live in the state. When you look at Matt Rule to Nebraska, what were your first thoughts? I think it makes a lot of sense given the reclamation projects that Rule has been a part of. Um, culturally with what he needs to do for that program. And clearly Nebraska's got a lot of needs right now. What do you think about the match with Matt Rule and the Huskers? Oh, it's excellent. It's the second best coaching hire of the cycle, other than, of course, behind my guy Fickle. And I'll tell you why. Like we just talked about a moment ago, Nebraska has so many problems they have to iron out. And if you look at what Matt Rule inherited when he went to Baylor – you couldn't have put yourself in a worse situation. By year two, he's above 500. In year three, I believe he wins 11 games, if I'm remembering correctly. Then he's off to the NFL. At Temple, he had great success, way more than the, the Owls are used to seeing. So if you're a Nebraska fan, you got to sit back and look at this and say, hey, we aren't even close to where we want to be. We have problems all over the roster. We have problems all over the staff and the program. Matt Rule is a proven guy. He can come in, start from scratch, and win quickly. Year two, year three, like we said at Baylor, it is a perfect match. It's a match made in heaven. So I, I look at NIL and Transfer Portal, and the last time Matt Rule was coaching in college, they did not exist to, to this level. Luke Fickle has a track record. He is, he's played under these new rules at Cincinnati. When you look at both schools, David, and I know that Nebraska has an NIL collective set up, I don't really know the situation at Wisconsin. I feel like any job interview for a head college coach right now has to include what's your, what's your plan for NIL, how are you going to attack, how are you going to approach the transfer portal, and you're going to have to have a plan. How do you think both programs are set up in regards to not only having a good plan when it comes to those two things, but being able to execute that plan? I would say Nebraska, in, in the NIL sense, Nebraska is better set up than Wisconsin. That's just the honest truth. I'm not going to sit here and lie to, to the viewers. They just simply are. But in terms of an ability to get there, you're talking about two schools that essentially have the exact same resources, right? You're talking about two Big Ten, uh, I'm not going to say powers, but two major significant B Big Ten universities. You have huge donor money. You have huge budgets. And, and they're the focal point of where they are, certainly with Nebraska. There's nothing else going on there. I think with Matt Rule, he knew that wasn't going to be an issue. He knew he had that support going in. I think with Fickle, you had to have a conversation because a big complaint with previous Wisconsin coaches has been, hey, I don't feel like I have the resources I need to compete. You saw that with Gary Anderson, which is why he left. Luke Fickle's not an idiot. He was not going to leave Cincinnati for a job where he didn't have the resources 
to, to do what he wanted to do. So yeah, you definitely have that conversation and they definitely gave it to him. No question about it. Wisconsin's NIL situation, I wish it was better, but the fact Fickle's here tells me it's getting where it needs to be. From a power balance standpoint across the Big Ten, you're someone who's attached to that Wisconsin program. Do you root for Michigan against Ohio State? And is that a good thing to eliminate some of the dominance of Ohio State over the years when Michigan wins two in a row in the series? Or do you watch that game and just think, you know, I hope both teams lose and it doesn't really matter for my program because now they're almost just alternating who's the dominant team in the Big Ten when you look at the power of those two schools? Well, I think it's good for the brand of the Big Ten to have two contenders, if you will, to have two teams that can go to the college football playoff in any given year. It used to be just Ohio State, and the rest of the conference was really playing for second place. Now we've seen Michigan ascend to really being the dominant team two years in a row. You definitely want more power players. You definitely want more heavy hitters, more pipe hitters, as we like to say, guys that are coming through the door to mess you up. But in that sense, it'd be foolish of me as a Wisconsin fan to really say, hey, what does that do for us? We got to get there ourselves first. Until Wisconsin can go on the road and beat an Ohio State or go on the road and consistently beat a Michigan, what those two schools are doing isn't relevant for us until we ourselves can compete. How much does USC and UCLA help the conference moving forward? Not just from the Wisconsin or or Nebraska perspective, but overall, how do you think it changes the Big Ten? Well, I will tell you the immediate changes we just saw, right? You just saw Nebraska hand out $9 million a year to Matt Rule. Why do we have all that money? Because the new TV deal is coming in place. And in large part, it's worth more than a billion annually because now you have the West Coast market. Wisconsin, a school that doesn't spend a lot of money, giving Fickle a, a, reportedly a base salary of $6 million. Why? We now have more money than we know what to do with. So financially, a rising tide boosts all ships. Everyone's going to be richer, which helps us with coaches, resources, facilities. From a competition standpoint, USC is back, I think it's fair to say, to the best they've been in a very long time. So now you have another team in the conference that can compete for a national title, potentially, that gives you three of them, Ohio State, Michigan, and USC. You get UCLA, who's good, not great, but gives you another good team. It's good. It's a, the top seven teams in the conference are all going to be highly competitive. And the top three right now, if USC was currently in it, are as good as any conference in America. David Hookstead from Outkick.com. Uh, D Hookstead on Twitter if you want to follow him. David, help me settle a debate I was having with some, some football-loving buddies over the weekend. We went through every conference and ranked just based on personal preference and ability to win We took our top four in every division and then every conference and said, here are my favorite jobs if I'm a free agent. Everyone in my group had Wisconsin-Nebraska in one one order, one or two, as one and two in the West, in the Big Ten West. Who's three and four in your mind? I know you're going to go Wisconsin one and Nebraska two, I'm guessing. But in terms of program, fan base, ability to win, all of that, I think there's a pretty clear-cut number three, but I'm curious of your answer at numbers three and four. It, well, number three is Iowa. Yes. It, it has Agreed. to be Iowa. They have, they, have the, they have a massive stadium. They have a dedicated fan base. They have money. They have a record of winning. So it's Iowa, I would say, is number three. Number four, it's dicey, but I think you go Minnesota. A dedicated fan base, not really the tradition of winning, although they're slowly turning things around. 
you don't go Illinois, you don't go Purdue, you just can't do that. In Northwestern, as much as we respect the university and what they've done for who they are, no shot. Wisconsin 1A, Nebraska 1B, Iowa, Minnesota, that's your top four. If anyone's ever seen an 11 a.m. Central kickoff at Ryan Field in November when it's 35 and spitting rain and big game Beth is on the call, you know why Northwestern is one of the worst jobs in all of college football. Uh, All right, Yellowstone. And I want to do this, David, without giving away too many spoilers from last night's episode. Um, But I watched last night's episode, and my big takeaway is that I need Beth to be killed off of this show quickly. Because I think the fallout of Beth dying is way more interesting than all of the craziness of Beth Dutton that we're seeing on the show right now. Do you agree or disagree? I agree 100%. I actually wrote that in my recap, which you can all read at outkick.com on the episode. Beth's got to go. I just personally, she was entertaining for a while. There's a lot of fun, terrible dynamics with her that make her a fascinating character. But she's just an evil, evil, evil character. And without spoiling anything, that scene in the last episode in the vehicle, to me, that was foreshadowing that now it's a life or death situation and somebody and I think we all know who it's likely going to be, has got to take her out. It went from the worst of Beth in, the, in that scene to some of the best of Beth when she's sparring verbally with John Dutton, Kevin Costner's lover that he just pardoned out of prison to bring back to his home. Again, I said I wasn't going to spoil anything, but I spoiled that moment. The back and forth between them, well worth the price of admission. Uh, but yeah, the car scene, not so good. David Hookstead's work at Outkick, very good can read his Yellowstone recaps, has interviews with the cast as well, and talks and writes about a lot of college football for the site. David, congratulations uh, with your Badgers and the hiring of Luke Fickle, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. See you guys later. David Hookstead, outkick.com. Hutton, I know you watch the show. I don't, I don't know yeah, if you're I, caught up or not. No, not caught up yet. On it. When you catch up, you'll, you'll <laughs> see exactly what I'm talking about in the latest episode oh, of I, Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah, where you, it's, you need a Joffrey ending to her. Yeah, there needs to be a very dramatic and violent death uh, to Beth Dutton on this show. And then the fallout from it is going to be very entertaining. Not just death, On the show. Yeah, it's got to be... Memorable. Right. The woman survived a bomb blowing up in her face, (laughs) and she still has the scars from it. So if that didn't kill her, it could take, you know, something else making that happen. We're going to take a quick break. We come back. More college football talk. Trey Wallace, we're going to talk to Trey... A few times this week. He's going to be in Atlanta for the SEC championship game, covering that for outkick.com. We'll talk about the coaching movement. He knows Lane Kiffin. He got a, a, a quote from him after he decided to stay at Ole Miss. We'll talk about him staying. We'll talk about what Hugh Freeze means for Auburn and talk some SEC. Trey Wallace, outkick.com is next. This is Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read at PG-13.
Fun and busy show so far today. So much to talk about from the long Thanksgiving weekend. We hope all of you out there had a great Thanksgiving holiday and you come back on this Monday refreshed, ready to go. We're ready to go. We're going to close out strong. Final 40 minutes of today's Outkick 360 alongside Jonathan Hutton. I'm Chad Withrow and we've got Trey Wallace, good friend of the show, outkick.com, SEC columnist. We're going to get... We're going to get nice and cozy with Trey this week. Championship weekend. He's going to be down in Atlanta. We're going to talk to him today and a couple of more times throughout the week. Trey, welcome in. Hope you had a great holiday. Guys, it was uh, it was good. Lots of sitting around the phone waiting for text messages. It really wasn't a holiday, to be honest with you. It was, uh, but hey, look, I, I enjoyed it. Lots of crazy news last week followed up with a weekend of waiting around for Auburn to finally make the hire and sign off on it. And they did it. And uh, just a, what, a, a wild week in the in the SEC West in particular. Yeah, this time of year is probably not uh, very restful for you with all the movement and everything going on. It's going to be this way every year. And this is actually a pretty moderate to low year in terms of turnover for the SEC with only these these uh, these two jobs, but one was in danger of coming open, and that was Ole Miss. Um, I almost feel like, Trey, that John Sokoloff, or however you pronounce his name, that report almost kept Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. That Lane Kiffin, being the constant contrarian, almost felt like that pushed him back to Ole Miss because that report got out so early. What do you make of, of that and, and Lane Kiffin's really his last week and what that was like? You know, I I thought that I thought that when it when it came down to it, I thought Lane would end up taking the Auburn job. I thought the contract was too nice for him. Um, but then, you know, I, I started to have some conversations with with him and other people uh and, and around Ole Miss and even around Auburn. And you know, the spiteful thing, like I, I get that with Lane, like I could see that happening. You know, that report came out, he was furious and, and I've told people this, you know, behind the scenes and I'll, I'll share it now since it's all over with, you know, a part of me thinks that it came from Ole Miss, but in a way of not hurry up and sign an extension Hey, we're agitated that you're kind of stringing us along a little bit here. You know, let's put this out and let's see where you go from there. Now, the other side of it is John Cohen, the the former Mississippi State Athletic Director, you know, maybe feeds information to John. Who knows? Who knows? But then, you know, hoping to expedite something with Lane Kiffin. And here's the thing. Lane was not making any type of move. He wasn't going to sign anything. He wasn't going to agree to be the Auburn coach, any of that, until after the Egg Bowl was over, period. And I I think when you look back on it, I think that there was a really good chance that he was going to be at Auburn. But I give his family a lot of credit. I give him a lot of credit for saying, hey, look, like, this is just not the right time. I got a daughter and you, and you guys would know this. Yeah. I got, he had a daughter that a senior in high school already has her dorm room picked out at Oxford, has a roommate picked out for next year. 
you know, didn't want to pick up and leave the family. And he's got a, a son that's in middle school uh, out in California that he's hoping, you know, can move to Oxford, you know, after after the, the spring semester. So, you know, Ole Miss did a really good job of, of the money wise. And you guys talked about it earlier and I was listening. The way that they framed his contract was perfect. You get around the stupid four year deal in the state of Mississippi and you backhand it by saying, okay, well, this is how we'll give you extra years on your contract. So I thought it was smart. And and I thought Lane was very, very agitated that night. And that's why you saw him go off on Twitter. I'm sure that he would like that back maybe, but, um, but that's Lane Kiffin and, and speaking with him, you know, on Saturday, that's exactly what I came away from. And lost in all this, Trey, is the game on Thursday night in a lot of ways that Ole Miss loses to Mississippi State. Huge win for Mike Leach in his program on the road in Oxford in that game. You got Lane Sun with the fire extinguisher after one of the touchdowns in the air, which was really cool to see. Um, you've got a, a moment where fans are chucking things on the field and really no one across the country reacts to it the way they did the year before with Tennessee and Ole Miss. Um, it was a wild game, and Ole Miss, even even though Lane Kiffin tried to overcome the distractions throughout the week and reassure his team that he was with them and he was going to come back, didn't matter. Mississippi State won the game. It's, isn't it interesting that Lane Kiffin came out multiple times and said, I'm not leaving Ole Miss. Like, I, I'm, I'm just not. Like, I, I'm not talking to anybody else. I haven't accepted any other job. I haven't talked to anybody. He was telling the truth. I mean, Jimmy Sexton is the one that that's talking to these schools and 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 trying to lay out contracts. I mean, the whole time, credit to him, Lane was was telling the truth. And and I look at that game, and I think it got away from Ole Miss there in the second half. I thought Will Rogers was fantastic, but like everything that went into that, the beer cans on the field. His son on the sideline going crazy, laying smiling when he walks by and sees it. And Mike Leach is coming out of nowhere with this offense and being able to stifle Ole Miss. You know, you would have thought that night, okay, well, this is going to get interesting. Let's see what happens here. And the whole time, you know, Lane has been satisfied with where he's at uh, in Oxford. And uh, credit to Mississippi State for getting the big win to end the season uh, for Mike Leach. That was fun. It was a fun way to start the craziness that was Friday night, which turned into Saturday in college football. So I love Auburn's ability to just give zero you-know-whats about anything. Don't care. This is a program that has a checkered past when it comes to a lot of different things, right? And I don't care. I'm not here to judge. It's about winning in this conference. I understand all of that. But they tried to perform an absolute coup against a coach they didn't like a year ago and dig up maybe he had an affair with a staffer, maybe he didn't, in order to fire him with cause. And then a year later, <laughs> they're hiring Hugh Freeze, who was using university resources to pay for prostitutes at Ole Miss. And they're not going to say a word about it. And they don't care, and they don't apologize to anyone for it, Trey. They are moving forward with Hugh Freeze after Lane Kiffin said no. And I got to be honest, I kind of love it about Auburn. It's who they are. That's part of their DNA, and they're not going to apologize for it, and I don't think they should. I had a good buddy say this a little bit ago. They said Auburn had 
their coach they thought lined up with Lane Kiffin. And Hugh Freeze is that button behind the glass that at the last minute you got to shatter and push because everything's just gone to hell in a handbasket. That's what Auburn did. Lane Kiffin didn't come. They went up to that little glass with a button. They pounded it with their fist. They said, okay, we're going with Hugh Freeze. We don't care what the backlash is going to be because there was a lot. Guys, on Saturday, on Saturday, when news started breaking about this, we were reporting on it on Saturday with Hugh Freeze. Auburn officials were embarked with emails, text messages, phone calls from boosters, fans, anybody that could get a hold of some kind of address, email address or phone number for John Cohen or any type of boosters, they were getting blown up about the Hugh Freeze situation. And I think that's why in talking with some folks over the last two days, that's why you didn't see Auburn make this hire Sunday morning or even Saturday night after the Iron Bowl. You know, you go back and look at Hugh Freeze's press conference after that Liberty horrible lost to New Mexico State. And he's like, oh, yeah, the players confronted me in the locker room and I couldn't refute the report. It's like, wow, okay, this comes together real quick, but it was always going to be Lane or Hugh. That's why they had these conversations for the last two and a half weeks. They've been vetting Hugh Freeze for three weeks now, but it's the fact that you got to that point on Saturday where things started to look a little clear when it came to Freeze and uh, everybody freaked out. I It, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Tennessee and Shiano in a way when that went down because of how much longer they had to wait to make the hire. Um, so it, you know, this, look, Auburn, Auburn needed a winner. Auburn needed somebody that was going to go out there and win 10 games sometime in the next two to three years. And they went out and they found that guy. Cause I believe Hugh Freeze can do that. There were talks about them going to get an NFL assistant coach. You know, there were stupid talks about Dabo Sweeney. It never got that far guys. It was either Lane or Hugh and they went with Hugh Freeze. Trey Wallace, Outkick.com, Outkick SEC columnist is our guest. Trey, let's go around the SEC a little bit from this past weekend, rivalry weekend. A tale of two teams and two programs in 2022. Florida beat down uh, South Carolina 38-6. And the two weeks following that win, Florida goes to Vandy and loses, and then loses to arch rival Florida State. South Carolina, the loser 38-6 at Florida, Put 63 up on a top 10 Tennessee team in a win and then goes to Clemson and wins. Let's start with the South Carolina side of it. What a close for Shane Beamer and that program and one trade that I did not see coming. Dude, that guys, that was the wildest. This has been the wildest two weeks I've seen for a team in the SEC in a very long time. For them to beat Tennessee at home, and the way they did it, by the way, too, it was nine touchdowns out of 10 attempts, possessions, yep. and then you go on the road to Clemson, and you beat them the way that you did. They beat them. Look, I know Spencer Rattler had a good game in Clemson, you know, whatnot. DJ was not having a good game throwing the ball. South Carolina beat Clemson on special teams. They had them backed up inside the five-yard line three different times off punts. Fumble, interception, South Carolina won with Beamer ball. And it's crazy that it all played out like that. But you look at the Gamecocks and you think, wow, what a wild and fascinating way to end the regular season 
get to a certain spot when it comes to wins. You set yourself up for a nice Florida bowl game. And you look at Shane Beamer and his program, and I know that they lost Marcus Satterfield, the offensive coordinator to Nebraska. But in my opinion and talking with folks, I think that move was going to happen either way. I don't know if Satterfield was going to be back next year for South Carolina. And I think the last two weeks gave him an opportunity to showcase his skills a little bit. And him and Matt Rule, always they, they've been getting along for a while. They've coached together, so that made sense. But South Carolina is one thing, guys. And then you look at Florida. Losing to Vanderbilt is one thing, but then following it up where Anthony Richardson played well against Florida State, in my opinion, but the rest of the team kind of struggled. You know, they 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 had a rushing attack going, but in my opinion, Florida had more talent than Florida State. And I give all the credit in the world to Jordan Travis because what he did in that game was absolutely phenomenal. He could he could have had two rushing touchdowns if he wouldn't have slid or fell down at the half-inch yard line. So it was amazing to see what Florida State did. Florida, I am told, watch that transfer portal down there in Gainesville. Going to be a good amount of players leaving. Billy Napier is trying to reshape that program, uh, and I think that they are very active starting December 5th, uh, which is next Saturday. And there's not an unimportant season in the SEC, but given Florida's track record, they fired Dan Mullen a year after he got them to Atlanta because things fell apart the next season. Feels like right. a very important season next year for Billy Napier to show some some development uh, and to be better. And if that's true, Trey, that's going to be difficult unless they hit big in the transfer portal also, which is very possible. And they've got a great recruiting class coming in, which certainly helps them. But that's going to be a program got, to follow next next season. They got a big NIL collective too, which is going to help. I mean, don't let anybody fool you over these next three to four weeks with the transfer portal. A lot of this has to do with money, money, money. Yep. And and if anybody tries to tell you anything different, you're crazy. I mean, yes, there are a few schools that they're going to need some key players at certain spots where things fit, but a lot of it is money grabs. And, and that's okay. That's the era that we're in right now. But I agree with you. Billy Napier needs to show up next year. They need to win, in my opinion, eight games. You got to start taking that next step because if not, Florida fans are going to start getting restless for one reason. They look down the road in Baton Rouge and see a team that's playing for an SEC title this year. Even though they lost this past weekend, they are playing for an SEC championship. They made the hire with Brian Kelly. Florida decided to go with Billy Napier. I'm just saying next year needs to be a successful one for Billy. So speaking of the era that we live in right now, and just kind of accepting this. And, and I, I got this because there's some buddies of mine that, that are big Kentucky fans that I've been hard on Will Levis throughout his career, really. And I just don't see him as an NFL prospect, quite frankly, much less a first-round pick, maybe a late-round NFL draft pick. But now that Will Levis is noncommittal about finishing out the season in a bowl game and stepping away before that bowl game, a lot of my Kentucky friends have now gotten on my, my side of the road in regards to Will Levis. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe this guy isn't a great leader. Maybe this guy is this and that. This is becoming very common. So I don't really have much of a reaction when someone steps away from a bowl game. But Trey, I'm also of the belief that it is okay if you're a fan to be disappointed in someone you've rooted on for a while that steps away from their team with one game left to play. I'm okay with that disappointment. I acknowledge the business of it. 
I know what's going on. I know what they're doing. I'm not going to trash someone who does it, but I fully understand fans being upset with that, especially when it's the quarterback of the team that may be stepping away. What What do you think about this? Because obviously, we're going to see a lot of a players, a lot of players who will opt out of these games. It's not just them not wanting to play in a bowl game. Those young men are getting paid to play at Kentucky. So if you're getting paid through NIL to play at Kentucky, you finish your time at Kentucky. And if that means you go to a bowl game and you play a quarter or two, okay, whatever, that's fine. I can deal with that. But in my opinion, how do you think these NIL collectives in Lexington are feeling right now if Will Levis doesn't play and they've got the next, what, uh, 25 days, 30 days to kind of build up, market that a little bit, market Will Levis, get him out there, make some more money off NIL before he's gone and done with Kentucky? Like, it's more than just stepping up and playing for your teammates, too. Like, you have to act as a professional in yeah, this and, situation. And, look, I think their argument would come back and say, well, what I am playing for the money. I'm playing for my first-round status, so I don't care yeah. about your money anymore. Now I'm moving on. I'm not saying it's right, and there's no honor in that if you've, if you've received money from someone to do something and you don't right. do it. But they're being told that from – you know, NFL people, agents, family members, whoever it may be. I, I just think here's my biggest problem with it all. I don't have a problem with Will Levis doing this per se, and he's not going to be alone because I know why he's making that decision. I can't stand when people get on their high horse and criticize someone who has a problem with it. And that's what we're going to see over the next couple months too. How dare you as a fan challenge this kid who's doing what's best for him? Well, you know what? I may have spent a lot of money going and watching this team, and I saw a lot of disappointment this year. I, I put in a lot to it also. I have every right as a fan to be upset about a guy who's not doing what's best for his team. There is still honor, I feel like, for being a stand-up teammate. And I think I we're losing no some of that. I said it last year. I applauded Matt Corral when everyone said, that's why you don't play in the game when he got hurt. And I'm thinking – I will always be a fan of this kid because when everyone told him not to play, he did, and he did it for his teammates. It may have cost him financially. Doesn't mean that I can't appreciate it even more for that reason. That That's what's going to frustrate me. And Matt Carell also went into that game with torn cartilage in his knee, you know, and, and, and he still played. Uh, I, I look at Will Levis a little bit different. I And this is not a knock at the young man, okay, but – I don't, and I'm not an NFL scout, and I'm not an NFL guru. I don't cover the NFL. I'm not going to act like I do. I have no idea how you look at Will Levis and you think he is a top 10 draft pick. That's not a shot. That's just me reality looking around the country at other college quarterbacks. I don't see it. Maybe I'm missing something and I can't put my finger on it, but he reminds me of Tim Tebow with a better arm. That's it. That's who he reminds me of. And that's not a knock. That's a good thing in a sense of the way that he plays his game. But overall, Chad, and you're looking at Kentucky, this was a disappointing season. Like this was horrible. There was, there was no way to spin this to make it look any better. I don't care what you did against Louisville. Tennessee was this year's Kentucky. Everybody in the preseason talking about, oh, that November game against Georgia. It's going to be for the SEC East. That November game against Georgia, nobody cared about. 
That's how far back the Kentucky program fell this year. So if they want to give Stoops more money to stick around in more years, that's fine. But these days and in, in these busting up yourself and thinking you're going to make it to Atlanta and this is the year, I'm sorry, 2022 was the year you were supposed to be contending for a spot in Atlanta. You crapped the bed. That's on you. Now you got to figure out how to move forward with a head coaching staff and potentially a new offensive coordinator. And they need to move forward in the transfer portal with a quarterback also, I think, because I don't know they have one on that roster that's going to win for them. So that's one to watch. One other thing I want to ask you about, Trey, is, uh, is Tennessee. People yeah. might look at a win over Vanderbilt and say, oh, ho-hum, whatever, 56 nothing. They, they pounded them in the rain. I thought that was an important program win for this reason. If they lose that game, that's all we're talking about is a complete November collapse and the fact that they had a divided locker room for whatever reason. And instead, I don't know what all happened with Jeremy Banks and Hendon Hooker and in that locker room, but they came out and did not look like a divided football team in that game. They, they responded, and you could tell with Josh Heupel's postgame remarks, he didn't appreciate what Kirk Herbstreit had to say. He didn't appreciate what other analysts had to say and really thought that was a referendum on the culture of his program in that game. And Tennessee answered the bell in that one in a defense that gave up 63 the week before, pitched a shutout the following week. It is not our business why a player does not make a trip. You know, we can want it. We can want that information. I'm talking about Jeremy Banks in South Carolina. Like, it's really none of our business. Like, if he says that, hey, look, he's not available this week, that's fine. He didn't He didn't have a broken arm. He didn't have the flu. He didn't have an elbow injury like something. He, did, he didn't make the trip. There was a couple instances during the week that the coaching staff felt like, you know what, Jeremy, we're going to hold you back off this trip. We think it might be better for the football team. Uh, maybe we teach you a lesson in the in the long run. And what happened? Jeremy Banks had a great week of practice getting ready for Vanderbilt. Shows up, ready to go. They go to Nashville, and they just beat up on a Vanderbilt team that, in my opinion, I thought they would put up a bigger fight. This was a very, very big game when it came to culture for Tennessee like you brought up. Because what did we hear since that South Carolina loss? It was all about, well, man, there was a fight in the locker room and the defense – some of the stupidest things I've heard, the defense tanked the game against South Carolina because they were mad at the offense. Like, what kind of dumbassery is that, that you would think that they would actually take a game where they had a playoff chance? Like, some of the stuff that came out. So you know what, Josh Heupel came well, out hey, hey, to be fair, game. To be fair to Kirk Herbstreit yeah. and others, like, I, I, I get why Josh Heupel's mad about that thing being talked about by the biggest voice in college football. And he's talking about Vandy winning that game. But I, I watch that game and think something's up. <laughs> I don't think that they just tanked it, but I mean, there was clearly something that happened no, no, with no. Jeremy Banks and them playing that poorly. So I think to respond shows it wasn't as big of a flare up as maybe we thought, but something yes. clearly happened. And I think the, the fact that they had that level of pride is a good sign to bounce back that way. Everything was lost, guys. Like, you have to think about it this way. You, you go back to that, I don't know what year it was under Butch Jones. They lost to South Carolina. They lost a chance in the SEC. Yeah, they lost a chance in the East. They go to Vanderbilt. They laid an egg, lost a chance at the Sugar Bowl. Tennessee lost at South Carolina. They go on the road to Vanderbilt with only a New Year's Six game to play for in a 10-win season, and they come out and they run all over Vanderbilt. I thought Joe Milton did excuse me, a decent job 
passing the football and running the offense. It's hard to do when it's raining like that, not making excuses, but for them to come out and bounce back and it, it looked like as much fun as they looked, they were having on the sideline as well as putting up all the points against Vanderbilt. I don't blame Josh Heupel one bit for coming out and saying, look, there's not a culture problem here. We just won 10 games since 2003. We're going to go to a New Year's Six game. Thanks to a couple upsets in front of them, looks like they're probably going to go to Miami and play an ACC team and not have to go to the Cotton Bowl and play a UCF or Cincinnati type of team. So you end up, it ended up working out. And look, they didn't have their starting quarterback as well. Think about that. I mean, not having hidden hookers. So I look at Tennessee and how they finished the season as Josh Heupel putting a stamp on 2022. He's got he's going to have work to do next year and in the portal, and we know that. But I think that was a very, very big win for Tennessee setting up what they're trying to do in 23. Trey Wallace, Outkick.com, Outkick SEC columnist. Trey, thanks so much. We'll talk to you later this week. Thanks, guys. Be well. Absolutely. Trey Wallace, at Trey Wallace underscore on Twitter. Lamar Jackson is big mad, and we will discuss and read you most of his tweet when we come back. (laughs) This is Outkick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick Network in our downtown Nashville studios at 6th and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Not a good day for the Baltimore Ravens. And Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence goes down the field for the Jags. They win the game. They go for two in the end, and they win it. And postgame, Lamar Jackson, not happy. (laughs) We're going to show this to you right now. We're going to read some of it to you. If you're listening across our radio network, um, some guy that goes by Castle Will Kill on Twitter tweets out, when someone is asking for over $250 million guaranteed, like Lamar Jackson, and mentions him on Twitter, games like this should not com- come to Justin Tucker. Let Lamar walk and spend that money on a well-rounded team. Lamar Jackson said, boy, STFU, y'all be capping too much on this app. Never smelt a football field. Then he goes on to say a lot more after that. Yeah, I don't know how you edit this. Lamar Jackson, I'm just not going to read the rest of it. Um, never that productive when you just go after some random fan, when you're Lamar Jackson or anyone held in that high esteem. And I'll say the same here. While funny to read when I first saw that response, I think he since deleted it. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah just did. don't don't go there. It's really not worth it. Not worth your time. Yeah, and uh, very defensive for a team that is losing games because they can't play defense. Quite frankly, yeah. you know, and uh, I think that's also part of the frustration. But he's not cashing in on his big opportunity. I mean, he is. He's going to make more than whatever they offered him last off season, but it's not the fully guarantee, and that's unfortunate. Not just for him, but future contracts moving forward. I'm rooting for Lamar Jackson to get paid because I want to see other 
players get paid, the way Deshaun Watson got paid, who, by the way, is fully cleared and he's able to play this week. He's back on the practice field officially on Wednesday. The NFL has reinstated him officially today. Lamar Jackson needs his secondary to be as defensive as he is on Twitter. That's what you're saying. Yes. That's going to help the Ravens more than anything Agreed. else. Uh, going to be some defense play tonight between the Colts and the Steelers. I think so. Maybe. On Monday Night Football. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, Hutton, I'm going with our DraftKings bet tonight for myself. I'm going Colts minus two and a half. Okay. And I'm going to parlay all these things. I think it's going to be a running game. I'm going to go Jonathan Taylor with an anytime touchdown. Najee Harris, a little bit more tricky for Harris, given his season so far and the start to his career. But Najee Harris of Pittsburgh, an anytime touchdown. So I'm going with the alternate trend here. Okay. Because I think the trend is Jeff Saturday and the Colts. And look, I don't mind it here. Their defense has been really good. Uh, They've held the Chiefs and the Eagles this year to their lowest output of the season. And we've seen Saturday already win against the Raiders. But Tomlin versus Saturday... It's hard for me to bet against Mike Tomlin, against Jeff Saturday. Um, no offense to Jeff Saturday or the Colts coaching staff. Kenny Pickett's coming off a pretty good performance, and I like George Pickens as well. Um, I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers back with J.J. Watt, putting pressure on Matt Ryan. I'm taking the money line for the Steelers on the road tonight, and I'm taking the over three and a half catches for George Pickens. I'm parlaying that, trying to win some money after losing one of two games out of my uh, outright upset picks, the Titans falling to the Bengals, although the Panthers did win. I'm trying to make that back tonight with the Steelers winning on the road against just a very bad Colts team overall. Panthers um, definitely came through for you. And for um, Indianapolis, never bet against Jeff Saturday. Bill Cowher learned that the hard way. We'll find out tonight, but I'm with you. I think Mike Tomlin probably a little bit better in terms of uh, career and clout. As an NFL head coach than Jeff Saturday. Way to hold it down today. Yeah, fun U.S. Time. soccer tomorrow. Yes. We'll Live talk reaction. about that. We'll talk some more football. Enjoy Monday Night Football, everyone. We'll be right back at it right here tomorrow at 3 o'clock Eastern on OutKick 360.